Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. That exactly what you went through is why the podcast became what it is. And, you know, as someone that listens to, I believe, nine separate F1 podcasts, you know, we have to get to a point that we're not, we're not pretending like there aren't other drumming podcasts or, well, I can't be a guest on your podcast because I don't want to shed any light on you. It's like, dude, there's more than enough to go around. And the problem is there isn't enough to go around for someone's entire week if they're listening to multiple hours a day. So we have to, I don't want people to only listen to our podcast because we are coming at things from a different perspective, which is let's just finally admit that we're scared. Let's just admit that we're nervous, that we have imposter syndrome. Let's talk about how much we make. No one, like, basically, we just talk about taboo drum topics. Yeah. You know, when somebody says, how much should I get paid for a gig? Everyone's like, oh, it just kind of depends. It's like, yeah, it depends, but it's not a million. I'll tell you that right now. It's not $1 million. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Drum for the Song podcast. I am your host, Dane Campbell. Today's very special guest is none other than Mike Johnston. How's it going, Mike? Brother, it's good, man. It's, it's going good because I got to see you play recently. And, um, and I, I learned about your podcast from the hoodie you had on. And I was like, what a great hoodie. And then I was like, I wonder where I can get that. And then I looked at it and I was like, oh, it's a podcast. This is amazing. Um, yeah. And then we got to hang out a little bit. So was, I, I'm doing great. I'm back home now. Zero jet lag. COVID free. Life is golden. Well, that's amazing that you got away COVID free after the UK drum show, which I imagine was quite a considerable amount of drummers in one place over an entire weekend. Yeah. So um, I think I, I don't know if I got away COVID free. I think I just I had COVID right before I went. Uh, so I think I got I, with the three shots, you know, your two shots, the booster shot and then having COVID. I actually almost had to cancel. Um, and I was talking to Neil, the promoter of the UK drum show. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I know that you've given me my own room. <laughs> I have like the Mike Johnson education room. I've got three performances. All this is built up but I'm still testing, you know, positive. And so I'm, I'm obviously just on a responsibility level. I'm not going if I'm still testing positive. It's not fair to all the people that are there. Um, and it was getting closer and closer. And then about three days away from having to fly there, um, which was like five days before the show, I got like all the negative tests. I was like, whew. So yeah, um, all wow. golden. But yeah, it was tough. I, I, I know quite a few people, especially Americans that got stuck in the UK because we can get there but we can't get back home without proof of a negative test. You either take it at the airport or right before you get to the airport. And so I know quite a few Americans that got COVID at the UK drum show and then got stuck there and had to quarantine for 10 days. It's a pretty bad place to be stuck as well, if you're an American, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> What's that, Liverpool? Well, well, Liverpool's okay. Yeah. It was <laughs> honestly, to us, it's all amazing. It's all, it doesn't matter whether it's Scotland, Ireland, Liverpool, it's all Harry Potter to us. So we're, we're happy. <laughs> We just love hearing people's accents and it, it was a great time. But honestly, all jokes aside, the UK drum show was, it was needed, man. I mean, you know, it's been well over two years since the last major drum show. That's also, you know, the UK drum show is slightly different because there are drum festivals, but they don't have a gear component to them. The UK drum show is something truly special. It's like Nam and PASIC built into one. Um, and so it I've just never felt so much appreciation for the drum community from the entire drum community. And what I mean by that is no matter who I was speaking to, whether it was one of the pros that was playing on the event or just somebody that attended the event, there was such a positive vibe in the air of appreciation that I, it was, it was definitely something I didn't, I didn't know how badly I needed that weekend because Eddie and I both left there going like, we are doing the right thing with our lives it's tough when you have kind of a business mindset. You just think like, but couldn't I do a lot better in any other industry than the drums? This is like the hardest industry on the planet to try to make a living in or one of them besides maybe being like a professional unicyclist. And so it's like, well, what if I moved my business mindset to this other industry, whether it be tea or matcha or cameras? It, it, 
it's t- that's tempting. And mm. then when we had this weekend, Eddie and I got in the van and started driving to Leeds and Cardiff and Bath. And all we talked about was how amped we were to be a part of the drumming community. So it was, it was needed for a lot of people. Yeah, man. It's so great to hear you say that. And I'm really sorry I didn't actually go to the UK drum show. It kind of crept up on me and it was too late to kind of organize tickets and get up there on time. But sure. um, I, I've heard you and Eddie talk about about it for about 50 hours <laughs> on, on your podcast. We were, you know, a, it, we were a, a tad obsessed with getting prepared for that show. I, I will I will admit that for sure. That is a, it's a massive deal and I, I can't even comprehend what it must be like i play in rock bands and that's all i've done um you know we've played big shows and played to lots of people but i've never played the drums on my own in front of people and i know that's a completely different thing you did at the taping of the podcast though well there was another or, kid on opposite me at least <laughs> yeah true true um but no i mean it, it's it, it it is a very um I don't know how to explain it, but it's a it's a um, a vulnerable place to be mm. because both Eddie and I, similar to you, you know, we toured and you would think like, oh my god, this is our biggest show. It's X amount of people, whatever that is. There's just never the same nerves because you have your brothers with you. You know, you have your family. It's like, all right, we will go out and succeed or fail, but I don't know. There's just never. I never once in my band felt even on the biggest shows in the world felt like I was being judged by the other bands. Hmm. When you play a drum clinic or a drum festival, your brain makes you feel like you're being judged and you're being scrutinized. And every single note, it's like, Oh, that ghost note was too loud. Oh, that accent was too quiet. Like everything is scrutinized. It's all in our heads as the performers, but it's still there. And it's, it's, you know, I mean, that's honestly what our podcast is about is the mental struggles that we go through that are all self-imposed. Absolutely. Um, and, and while we're on the subject of your podcast, then obviously, well, I'm sure you have a lot more listeners than me, but there might be some of my listeners that I haven't discovered yet, discovered it yet. And I have recommended it thoroughly. Um, it's a fantastic podcast that you started during the pandemic, similar to myself, um, with Eddie Thrower, who's a very fantastic English drummer. British, English, whatever you want to say. Um, Both. He's both, actually. (laughs) Uh, I know him from the band Lower Than Atlantis. Some of you might have heard him from that. But nowadays, he's playing for Busted, which I'm sure you've definitely heard of, especially if you're from the UK. Um, But it's just a a great listen, man. I, I spent most of my time listening to it while I was doing my day job. So it really helped me get through my, like, part time day job that I had to get because of the pandemic, because sure. prior, prior to that, I was lucky enough to be making a living off, the, off playing drums. So I had to get a day job and your podcast really helped those hours. Um, and they entertained me a lot when I was sticking box, uh, when I was sticking pieces of cheese in boxes, <laughs> really mundane wow. job. But um, well, I, I'm happy, man. I mean, that's that exactly what you went through is why the podcast became what it is. And you know, as someone that listens to, I believe, nine separate F1 podcasts, you know, we have to get to a point that we're not, we're not pretending like there aren't other drumming podcasts or, well, I can't be a guest on your podcast because I don't want to shed any light on you. It's like, dude, there's more than enough to go around. And the problem is there isn't enough to go around for someone's entire week if they're listening to multiple hours a day. So we have to I don't want people to only listen to our podcast because we are coming at things from a different perspective, which is let's just finally admit that we're scared. Let's just admit that we're nervous, that we have imposter syndrome. Let's talk about how much we make. No one like basically we just talk about taboo drum topics. Yeah. You know, when somebody says, how much should I get paid for a gig? Everyone's like, oh, just kind of depends. It's like. Yeah, it depends, but it's not a million. I'll tell you that right now. It's not $1 million. Even if you're playing with Dua Lipa, which Eddie did, it's not a million dollars. And so we talk about those things, but I think that that at some point then you might want to go like, okay, I just want to hear somebody just talk about their favorite drummers or talk, you know, uh, drum history podcast. I love Bart's podcast because no one else does the research. That's a lot of work to do an episode of drum history podcast. So there's more than enough to go around. And, you know, that's why I was so excited to be a guest on your podcast. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, I like to, the sh- 
well, I've, mine is tiny, but there's another guy from Wales as well, from the north of Wales. Um, I know he was at the, the drum show. Um, he's got his own podcast, very similar to mine, where he interviews other drummers uh, called Percussion Discussion. So he's been on my show. I've been on his show. So we, we're trying to yeah. sh- share share the wealth. If Not that there's any wealth in it. <laughs> no, but I mean, we're doing this because it's all trapped. You know, all of us are doing this because we have this thing trapped inside of us that we just... It's like, I just want to talk drums for an hour. I want to talk about what drummers go through, what, you know, kind of brings us all together. And yeah, nobody, uh, no one else's podcast threatens you. I'm never listening to the, you know, a specific F1 podcast. And I just think this one might be way better than the other one. I'm never listening to that other one. It's like I finish the episode and then I go to the other one to go. I, I wonder what they thought about the Australian Grand Prix. And then I go to the next one. And I'm like, I can't wait to hear their review because those guys are more technical. And they're going to talk about the tire wear and the engine failure. And then these two guys don't know anything about cars, but they love F1. So so there's so much more. And it's it's funny. That's like a, a really great representation of the drum community in general. If you want to be an online teacher, you're not threatening me in any way. The more the merrier. If you want to be a session drummer, at no point is Ash Stone going to send you a letter and be like, you need to stop what you're doing right now. There's more than enough to go around because we all have a specific voice. And I think we as drummers are probably the best suited to encourage that because the vibe that we have, the people that choose to play this instrument are into sharing and we are into, you know, spreading the love around, you know, not to dog out any other instruments, but drummers are a unique breed for sure. And so I think that we can um, kind of just, like you said, share the love. There's it, it, sh- Shining light on someone else will never ruin you. Exactly. And I think, yeah, that's great coming from you as well. And yeah, totally agree with you. Um, what I haven't done yet, which I normally do a little bit earlier on, uh, for the people that don't know much about you or don't know you at all, because my podcast actually has quite a few listeners that aren't drummers at all. They nice. maybe are interested in in the bands that the guys have been in and stuff like that. So um, they I'd say any, all of my drumming listeners, I'm sure they will definitely know you, but let's talk a little bit about your history and how you got into music and got into the drums and a little bit about your band, your, your old band, Simon Says. Sure. If you don't mind? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the drums I kind of fell into. Um, it was something where I'd started out on, on a different instrument in school band and it just wasn't working out for me and the teacher just moved me to the drums. So it wasn't a choice. I didn't look up to drummers as a kid. But I was also really young. I was like five and a half. So this is early on in school, like kindergarten level. And then, um, yeah, then I being stuck on the drums and actually being bummed about it because I was already playing the instrument I wanted to play. My parents were, I was just fortunate enough that my parents supported it and got me drum lessons and eventually rented a drum set or a snare drum at first, then a drum set. So that's kind of how it all went. And I just, I think it was the only thing that I had. I didn't have any other hobbies, skateboarding and BMX racing and stuff, but it was the only hobby I could do at school. And so I just stuck with it, even though I wasn't, I never considered myself a drummer as a, as a younger guy. Um, But it was like, well, they offer school band for three different periods. Those are three periods of school that I don't have to take a real class. I'll do jazz band wind ensemble concert band i'll do anything that says band in it um and i just that's kind of how i got started with drums i stuck with it all the way through high school graduated high school went started going to like a junior college just so i could keep playing music in some sort of organized format keep working on my sight reading and charts and all of that and then um and during those high school years i started a band with my friends called simon says and just a local band. But at that same time, especially when I was graduating high school, the scene in Sacramento was kind of becoming the new Seattle. You know, we had Seattle while I was in high school that blew up with all of the grunge era. And then all of a sudden Sacramento, you know, we had this band that was literally like a guy and a trumpet and it was like quirky music. And it was a band called cake and they got signed and we were like, Oh my God, the band that we literally play at coffee houses with just got a like a big record deal i mean because this was still at the time where we had real legitimate record deals and then right after that deftones got signed 
And we're like, oh my God. Like, so now we've got two groups of friends that have record deals that came out of this town that no one would ever consider for music. But our scene was exploding and our local bands were playing to, you know, maybe 3,000 people a night at at a, like we couldn't play clubs. We had to play theaters. And these are just local unsigned bands. The scene was really happening. And emo was starting, you know, like between here and New York, it, it was happening. And then another band called Far got a record deal. And then we, so that's kind of how all of a sudden we had some dreams was our friends were getting record deals. And so age wise, uh, Cake, Deftones and Far are like one group of guys, you know, they're, they're three years older than us. So we, we looked up to them. And then for our age group, it was us and a band called Papa Roach. And we're all from the same area. And so us and P. Roach would just, we're like, okay, we can do this. And that was it. And we just worked our butts off until basically the record industry couldn't ignore the crowds that we were drawing. And then we got some management. And all of a sudden, we're doing, you know, the showcase thing for all the major labels. Got a record deal when I was 21. And then spent like the next, and yeah, spent the next six years touring but prior to that, as we were building our band, I was teaching. I started teaching privately when I was 17. So basically, you know, long story short, as I'm touring, I'm kind of A, being these two lives. I had this life of a touring drummer, but I was able to look back on my life as an educator and just think like, as cheesy as this sounds, which one of these two things brings me more joy? Because I thought this touring life was what I was supposed to do. This is what my parents wanted for me. This is what the magazines tell me that I'm supposed to do. But I'm not enjoying it as much as I thought I would. I'm definitely not enjoying it as much as my bandmates. And that was really hard to witness, like how much fun my best friends were having. And I wasn't internally feeling the same thing. And then, I yeah, I, I it's funny to be out on tour with you know stained or corn or whoever we were out on tour with at the time because of the era um unfortunately it was all rage against the corn tones but we were out <laughs> at that time with those bands which was as big as it got i mean you know every night was twenty five thousand people and even though we were the opening band but doing that and just being like why am i fantasizing about teaching in a smelly room and like trying to make a breakthrough with a student this is so weird i should be living it up right now so that was basically like the crossroads for my entire life was I got what I was, what I thought I was supposed to achieve. And I, it, the dream wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, so you eventually quit the band to pursue full-time teaching. Yeah. So um, I did that, quit the band, started a, the first drum school in, in my town in Sacramento Um, We had obviously drum lessons at music shops, but we didn't have a dedicated drumming school. So my wife and I started our first business called the Drum Lab and hired a bunch of teachers. And that's where I taught full time. And from that place, right around 2005, uh, the company YouTube launched. It was before Google acquired them. And to us, it was seen as like Dropbox. It was a place that I could put video content and not get charged for it. Hmm. So what I would do is, if I was going to go do like three or four shows with a different band or fill in and I couldn't make it to my students lesson, I would just film their lesson with a camcorder and put it up on YouTube and then give the parents the link and say, look, I can't make it to your son's lesson on Friday, but here is his lesson. And supposedly only he would see that there were no private links back there. You just uploaded to YouTube. That was it. Uh, But who the hell is going to look for a drum lesson on this new website? Um, And then all of a sudden that stuff started really kind of happening for me. And then, you know, a year or two into doing that, well, a year into it in 2006, Google acquired YouTube and then it started getting some more steam behind it. There still really wasn't any drum teachers on YouTube yet, but that's when I started making content for YouTube instead of my students. And then it just exploded. And that was kind of the aha moment between that and Steve Jobs launching iTunes which essentially broke up CDs into downloadable content, one song at a time. You don't have to pay 12 or $15 for a CD you might not love. You could just buy the song you wanted. That's when I decided, okay, I think I'm going to sell this business and start a new business called Mike'sLessons.com. I'm going to move everything online. I'm going to take these $50 DVDs that are being sold at the drum shops, and instead, I'm just going to sell the chapters. I'm going to film all this stuff myself 
but I'm going to sell the chapters for 99 cents a piece because that was the same price as a song on iTunes. So I felt that people would be used to it. Yeah. Keep in mind, at this point, I'm like 27 years old and I know nothing about business. <laughs> I was like, this will work. <laughs> um, but honestly, I, I didn't think of it as like, I'm going to sell my business and this will be bigger. I really, I just thought I need to sell my business so I can focus on this. I was still teaching out of my house to pay all my bills. Um, and then, yeah, that was kind of the beginning of, of Mike'sLessons.com and what became, you know, online drum education at the time. Yeah. Well, it's obviously come quite a long way since then, but you're definitely one of the first, if not the first by the sounds of it. Um, so for, for anyone interested in that, who, who maybe can't understand the prospect, not the prospect, but the idea of not going to a physical teacher in their local area. Sure. If they wanted to switch to an online lesson, so they pay a subscription or do they, can they pay for certain... You know, yeah, it, de it depends. I mean, obviously, everyone does it a little bit different, but we switched to subscription only model probably about four years ago. Okay. And mainly it was just because I just wanted people to have access to whatever they wanted to have access to. It just made it easier. Um, from a business point of view, you know, I'm not somebody that's trying to create this corporate conglomerate massive thing with a board of directors. I, that's not my dream. So honestly, a subscription model was closer to what I was used to as a private teacher was, you know, I used to charge $100 per month because it was a round number. And I knew if I have 50 students, I get $5,000 a month. Nice. And just as a musician, I always needed to know what I was going to make. And so I think that has even bled into this business, even as a 45 year old guy that's not allowed to see any of his own money because my wife keeps i don't want to say she keeps it all it makes it sound like she's she she protects the money from me because i'm a <laughs> terrible spender um but so i but i still have this subscription model i think a lot of it is just because it's nice to know well if i have x amount of students i make this much money mm. where you do the a la carte thing maybe you have twenty thousand students but one person only paid you know a dollar and this person paid fifty dollars because he bought everything so it's just a way to keep everything like as an artist, it is kind of nice to know how, what's your income and yeah. instead of having massive fluctuations. So anyways, that's our business model. And as far as what you're getting access to on mikeslessons.com, it's basically all course-based material. So you're not just running around like crazy going from the Latin jazz bossa nova straight into like a periphery tune. So it is taking you from, if you're in a hand speed course, it's lesson one into lesson two into lesson three which graduates you into Handspeed Course 2 and Handspeed Course 3. So everything is laid out. Our fills and grooves courses are actually connected to each other. So when you get done with grooves course 1, then you go to fills course 1, and it's all the fills that match up with that groove. So they're actually not just random. They're connected. But the most important thing is just basically what's become the Mike's Lessons family because I think the community of these you know thousands of drummers from all over the world sometimes it's easier for our students to learn from the other students than it is from me because it might be more relatable. Like, oh, well, she's been playing the same amount of time as I have. We've both been playing for about two years and she's working on similar stuff to me, but she's a little further along with it. I relate to that more than what Mike's showing me who, you know, Mike's been playing for 40 years and is saying like, oh, it's no big deal. You can do this. It's like, okay, we'll go back in time 40 years. It is a big deal. It is very difficult. So that's kind of, you know, what we have my thought has always been, and even though this is not probably good for my business, but if you have access to quality drum education in person, do it. There's multiple reasons. One, the just the, I hate to use the word threat, but the threat of having to see somebody each week will scare you into practicing. You don't want to embarrass yourself. You want to make your teacher proud. So I think that that, that accountability is massive. Having somebody in the room to stare at your hands and say, ooh, and just literally turn your wrist a tiny bit. That's an amazing thing. The problem is, and the reason why I have a business that can be successful, it's not because the tech makes online lessons better. I, I do not think that at all. It's why I still host in-person drum camps. What I think is I found out that there were a lot of people in the world that don't have access to a quality drum instructor. And you might think like, yeah, but what about in London? It's like, okay, can you afford it in London? Mm. Maybe not. What if the guy who's qualified or the girl who's qualified hates teaching? So it's like, well, yeah, he or she's an amazing drummer, but they don't even want to be in the room with me. So it's like, okay, well, I think that you will lose out by having online lessons compared to in-person lessons with a fantastic teacher. 
but I'm obsessed with teaching and education. So let, I still think I can do a pretty good job through a camera if you give me the chance because I'm so passionate about it. So I think the passion kind of equals out the playing field a little bit. Absolutely, man. Um, I've obviously checked out a lot of your YouTube content. I haven't quite pulled the trigger to sign up to the website, but I've I've learned that a few of my friends in the local area are actually members. Oh, cool. I, I didn't know. They just, I guess yeah. they they just crack on with it themselves. So um, we don't sell merch, so they don't. They're they're not wearing the sweatshirt. I don't have any maybe, merch. Maybe you should. I may. I, I'll talk to you about it because your merch yeah. is dope. Yeah, but like I've only sold about twenty t-shirts, but you, if you if you've got a few thousand students, then times hey. that times that by twenty five dollars or whatever. It's not bad. It's good. <laughs> it's a good day at the office. Exactly. Um, yeah, you met. You mentioned camps. Something. I've never done or even really imagined what goes on. How how sure. does that work? Um, is it just an intense, is it like an intense week of lessons or practice or a combination yeah. of both? It's, it's, uh, it's funny. Um, everyone that signs up assumes they're coming to a drum camp, but they have no idea that they're actually just attending a life camp. Because there's so many things that happen in that week that you can't, you can't manufacture it. You can't buy it. You can't get it online. I can't even manufacture it. Like I have to watch it develop and take place. But as far as the way that the schedule is, I do 10 week long drum camps per summer. So starting one week from now, um, that's when our weather just no more rain, no more clouds. It's just blue sky for seven months straight. So we start then and then I do a week on and then a week off to kind of rest and do my online stuff and film lessons and podcasts and stuff. Um, so it'll be 20 weeks in a row of week on, week off for me. Um, so the campers get here, they arrive. We always do eight campers. Um, I've tried everything. You know, I, I've done the 21 drums camp in, in Ireland five times now, and that's 21 drummers. I've done as few as four eight seems to be the sweet spot for me. And the reason why is it's not like you can't teach more. You can, but I can't keep track of more than eight. And once you're at camp, we are not, we're, we're all working on the same core material, but everyone's different. So I'm managing eight different journeys in my head and judging everyone against themselves, not against the other campers. So I'm looking for, I can keep track of eight journeys at a time. As soon as it gets to nine, I'm like, ah, Dane, is it Dane? And you're like, yeah, it's Dane. I'm like, okay, cool. I know this is day four, but bro, it, you're, they're all blending together. But at eight, I know right away, like Dane, come on up, buddy. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so it's, it's a week of everything is a curriculum based thing. So we have a book that we're working out of. I write a new curriculum each year. So we have lots of return campers. So this is the, the 11th book I've written. Um, and I, it just makes sure that the people that are returning are not working on the same material so that they're challenged equally as, as hard as somebody, um, that's brand new. I don't want yeah. anyone to have an edge. We're all just doing our best. Um, so yeah, basically we go from 10 AM to about 9 PM. Wow. So it's, it's an 11 hour day. Um, it's a lot of drumming, but what's really cool is it's a chance for drummers to find out to see how much growth they actually make if their life was built like that. Cause usually what I can tell them by the end of the week is like, you just experienced one week of a professional drummer's life. Look how much you grew in one week. So now maybe your idols aren't as gifted as you thought. Maybe they're not freaks. They've just had a very, very fortunate life that allowed them to play drums seven to eight hours a day, their entire life. I honestly, I mean, maybe besides a few breaks here and there, since I was six years old, I've been able to play drums from, you know, every, every free moment, whether, you know, unless I was in school and even in school, like I said, I had three periods of school band. So it's not a talent thing. It's like, well, the hours add up. Yeah. And, and when I put in, you know, sometimes I'm too busy filming drums and everything that I, I don't get, you know, I can play drums six hours a day now and still practice zero because all of that drumming is filming and editing and stuff. And, but when I get to practice that much, then I look at my idols, you know, Vinnie Caliota, Dennis Chambers, Dave Weckl. And I think like, yeah, they're probably this laser focused all the time. And that's why they are, or at least they were during their formative years. And that's why they are where they are. And so it, it's kind of nice because it takes, 
that pressure off of like, oh, well, I'll never be as good as. It's like, no, those people have a very different life. You know, uh, I mentioned how fortunate I was to have supportive parents. Yeah. Just that alone can just skyrocket you because you're not feeling guilty about practicing. They're supporting it. They're saying, yeah, go ahead and make all the noise you want. You want private lessons? Let's go get you some private lessons. You know, my parents weren't rich, but they also didn't have to pay for soccer or football, taekwondo, baseball. They That was my only thing. I just, I played drums. So it was like, we had enough money for me to have private drum lessons, you know? And so I think a lot of those life factors play into it. Apologies for interrupting this episode of Drum for the Song. I really hope you're enjoying it so far. I just wanted to take a few moments to tell you about my Patreon page. This is a place where you can support the podcast in exchange for some bonus content. You can head over to patreon.com forward slash drum for the song. There are three tiers available at the moment. One is £3 a month, one is £5 a month and the other one is £10 a month. Each tier grants you access to exclusive benefits, which include bonus episodes, early access to the main episodes, private Facebook group membership, merch discounts, discount on Motorhead Beer, as well as a monthly competition to win Motorhead Beer, access to Skype chats with me, asking my guests questions, occasional free gifts like drumsticks, free tickets to Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons shows, and your name in the episode description. If you regularly enjoy the podcast and think you would enjoy those benefits too, please consider signing up. If you didn't already know, I do everything for this podcast all by myself. So I do all the contacting, all the research, all the interviews, all the audio editing, all the video editing, all the artwork, all the uploading. I write all the descriptions. I build the website. Everything is just me. So essentially, the money from the subscriptions helps me keep a bit of time free during my weeks so I can continue making the podcast for you guys. So again, that's patreon.com forward slash drum for the song. Check it out and enjoy the rest of the episode. Drum for the song podcast. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about your your gear. I know you love your gear. I do. Um, you do. So do I. Um, I know you've got, let's talk about your endorsements, your signature models and like the processes and the, the concepts of how they came about. Sure. Um, so going back in time, I, I would say my oldest signature model is my ride symbol with Meinl. Um, It's, I think it's like eight years old now, which wow. is crazy because I'm still using it. And my sound has evolved so much in those eight years and my style has evolved so much. And it's just surprising that I still use that symbol. I mean, there's no part of my contract that says I have to. Um, I could I could easily call them and just say, like, I'm not into this anymore. And that's it. You know, let's make a new one. Hmm. But, um, yeah, basically, a lot of uh, all of the products that I have, they were, they were never intended to be signature products. It was just a moment where I couldn't find what I wanted in the current lineup, whether it be with Meinl, Gretsch, or Vic Firth. And then they just said, well, let's try to make you something that you're happy with. So with the symbol, um, it started with, they have a symbol called the 20 inch extra dry ride. Um, and that's, that was kind of like the ride that got me into Minel. Chris Coleman was playing it when he moved to Minel. Benny Greb was pay- playing it before he had a signature symbol. Yost Nickel was playing it. Felix Lehrman. So all these guys that I was looking up to played this symbol. And then, so I got it when I became a Minel artist and I really did love it. But I just wanted it to be a little more crashy. And I kept asking them, send me a thinner one, send me a thinner one. And eventually they just said, why don't we try to make you something? Because this symbol that you're playing, it does exactly what it's designed to do. And you want it to do something it was not designed to do. So, I mean, that's I think all you can ever hope for from your company is companies is for them to be like, well, let's do what it takes to make you happy. Um, And then you just have to find that balance of like, okay, well, I don't. I don't want you to invest a ton of money just so I'm happy with one symbol. So that's usually when a signature product emerges, especially if the person that they're doing all this work for has enough influence that they think, you know, it could be warranted. And the transition ride with Meinl, it's a 21 inch extra dry symbol, but unlike the extra dry ride, it has lathing on the bottom, which gives it the washiness so you can crash on it. 
Um, and for years and years and years, it was Meinl's top-selling ride symbol. Um, and it's still oh. one of their best-selling signature products. And so what it says is, and 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 my, my signature is on the bottom. We never, ever call it the Mike Johnston symbol. It's always called the transition ride. Uh, you know, and so it's like, well, I'm not selling that symbol. That symbol was missing in the lineup, and there's enough people that want that sound. Same thing with my snare drum with Gretsch. Um, they noticed that I was playing a lot of ANF snares, and they were like, um, hmm, Mr. Johnston, what is going on? And I'm like, dude, these things sound amazing. And they're like, that's great. But as a Gretsch artist, we'd love for you to play one of our snares. And I'm like, I know, but I. I don't know what to say. There, there isn't a snare that I truly, truly just think is like my sound. It's not that the snares weren't great quality. They're amazing. and They're Gretsch. But it was like, you know, what makes Gretsch drums so incredible? I actually don't like it in a snare. What makes them incredible is their warmth um, and just almost their vintage vibe. But I like a very snappy snare drum. So those rounded bearing edges kind of steal that away from the drum. Yeah. So long story short, um, they said the same thing as mine. I'm like, well, what would it, what could we do to make this right? And so it's like, we started prototyping and we started going through different shell types. And then they let me do a double 45 degree bearing edge on a Brooklyn shell, which is something they just don't do. Um, the only double 45 degree bearing edge in the entire Gretsch history of drums is Vinnie Caliuta's signature snare. Ah. And so like it, like I said, it's very anti-gretch they want rounded bearing edges they want warmth um they want that vintage tone and so it's like but i wanted a a modern sounding snappy snare so that's kind of how that worked out we went through about 10 different prototypes found the one and then it just became you know um it's a it's a great selling drum for them and once again name is on the inside of the shell not the outside and it's just called the gretch brooklyn standard um i think it's really important anytime you have a signature product to try your best to keep your name out of it because if your name is part of the product, then someone needs to be a fan of yours to get it, you know? Um, so know let's say, you know what I mean? So, cause mm. I purposely didn't play the Dave Weckl sticks when I was a teenager because I wanted to be the next Dave Weckl. So I don't want to give in to like the Dave Weckl sticks. Although I loved those sticks. I was like, Oh man, well, I'll just take my mom's nail polish remover and get rid of his name. So it's like, and then, so, so that was kind of the thought and uh, like keep my name on the bottom or the inside, uh, the sticks with Vic Firth, you know, they're not the Mike Johnson sticks. They're the N E one, no excuses one. Um, and the one, it, well, they're the no excuses stick, but the one was attached because we were thinking anyone c can play them because yeah. they're meant for the average drummer. Uh, so by the way, average, not in talent, average in like build, I'm an average size human being. I have normal hands. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of where that came from, but same thing. It was just like, look, I don't want my name on these. Um, let's just give it a model number. And you know, with social media now, you don't need the credit. Like everyone will know you were behind it. You don't yeah. have to slap your name on everything. So yeah, so that's how that all worked out. And then, you know, the other endorsements i have um aya matcha that's my only non-drumming endorsement and i just love my connection with them because i i don't need free tea although it's great i need information this is the first time i've ever recommended something that people put in their body i need to know that like okay well do you guys do radiation tests on the soil like I've never recommended something that went in people's bodies before. I don't have to worry about what's in the ride symbol. It's a ride symbol. Hit the damn thing. You're not going to eat it. Yeah. But so with Aya, it's just such a great connection because they have constant calls with me, giving me information about the history of matcha, what's going on in their tea fields in Japan, what makes, you know, this specific cultivar of tea different than, you know, two blocks over and all of this stuff. So that's a beautiful relationship. And then 64 audio for in-ears. Um, really just got to experience how great those were on the flight over to the UK. Like that was my first time having in-ears in from the plane taking off until oh, wow. it landed while, you know, it was like a 10 hour flight and my ears never got sore. So that was pretty cool. I really enjoyed being like, oh, cool. I'm with the right company. Um, yeah. And then Aquarian Drumheads. Um, Aquarian Drumheads has been there. They signed me when I was 20 years old. And I'm 45, so it's been 25 years uh, with that company, and I I just absolutely love them. Yeah, wow, fantastic. Um, yeah, one thing I was going to bring up is related to your 
endorsements, I suppose, is sure. a topic you've spoke about on the podcast, like finding your own voice. So mm. like, and one thing that I feel fairly strongly about, and I, I, at my level and lots of the drummers and gigs that I'm around is when they try and get endorsements with whatever brand they can, just yeah. because they can say, oh, I've got an endorsement with this stick company. Right. And, and whenever I advise, I, I always kind of say, well, would you really pick those? I agree with you with what you've said on your show. Um, someone I know has played Zildjian cymbals all his life. He couldn't get a deal with them. And now he's managed to get a deal with Sabian cymbals. And now he's like, right, here's my new Sabian right. cymbal setup. And like, fair enough to him if that's what he wants to do. But it's just like, well, you've just told me you love Zildjian cymbals. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that it can be tough because obviously the endorsement world is very backwards. When you are doing well enough and you're successful enough to be able to afford all the gear you want, mm. you get everything for free. When you're just starting out and you're gigging and you're snapping sticks and every time you break a stick, it's an, you know another $7. And, and every time you crack a cymbal, you freak out because you're like, oh, that's 45 hours of work at my job to replace that ride cymbal. True. That's when you get nothing. And so I, um, I'm not willing to donate all of my endorsements to, to struggling drummers, but I do think as someone that went through both sides of it, I do think it is a little backwards. But that being said, yeah, there's just something. It depends on why you're doing what you're doing. If you're doing whatever you have to do to play, and you're like, look, yeah, I'd rather play Zildjian, but I'm going to take the free Sabians or the discounted Sabians because I'm breaking too many symbols and I can't afford it. I get it. Yeah. If you are trying to build trust long term, which is what I'm trying to do for sure, because I want people to eventually trust me enough to pay for education with me, then you, you have to just play what you love, um, you know, and you have to. And if you do move, I, I've moved. I moved from DW to Gretsch and I moved from Peisty to Meinl. Yeah. When you move, you have to be willing to to stare down the barrel of a camera lens and tell them, tell your followers and your fans, why'd you move? What happened? And it's a it's a tough thing because I've never had a situation where I had a bad relationship. So yeah. it's you know it's um, you know with Peisty it was very simple. Peisty was amazing, loved their stuff, but they definitely go for something. They're trying to create a sound, and and there was an evolution of my playing where that sound didn't match up with where I was going. And at the time, you know, a decade ago. Minol was going in the direction of art. They were making these trashy symbols that no one was making, these kind of dirty, nasty symbols. And they were they were just trying so many things to give the drummer a unique voice. And I was struggling to find my voice. So that was extremely appealing to me. Um, with DW, it was, I mean, you definitely can't fault DW on quality. It was like, no. well, these are the these are amazing. These are the greatest drums. You know, I I've with, I was with DW for 14 years, so I can tell you from being in their factory, no one is obsessed with quality as much as DW. So it was never something like that. It was that DW was the sound of my band. It was attached to, you know, I always say like when when your name is followed by the word from, like Mike Johnston from, Simon says. Mike, you know, that's, that's what DW represented to me at the time. I was like, oh, well, that's who I was then. I just need a fresh start. And... I want, and I also wanted something that was tied to history. That meant a lot to me. Like I love looking at my drums or walking into the studio, seeing that Gretsch logo and immediately thinking of, you know, Max Roach or, you know, Tony Williams or Art Blakey, you know, all that stuff. And, and so really at the time that I moved to, to Gretsch, Rogers was gone, Slingerland was gone. So all that was left was Ludwig and Gretsch and, you know, my idol Phil Collins played Gretsch, so it just made the most sense. So, so I think you can move companies. You just have to be able to be willing to tell people the the reason why, yeah. and then when that happens, you also have to just be willing to hang in there for the long term. You know, your your company, whoever it is, let's say it's Symbols, if it's Minel or Zildjian or Peisty, Sabian, each one of them is going to have their moment of of time to shine because of their artists. You know, at some point, Sabian will just happen to have the cool roster. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, ah, oh, Sabian. You know, um, I remember like in F1, Aston Martin did decently well for one race. And all of a sudden, I was like on Auto Trader, like, 
Aston's are kind of nice. <laughs> you know, it's like, all, but nothing happened. They haven't changed their company at all. Like it was just the, the two guys wearing their jumpsuits did well for once. And I was like, oh, you know, so that happens a lot of times. So you have to be okay with like, okay, you are on the cool company. You guys are getting all the coverage. It's cool to be an artist of this company. And then at some point, there's somewhere cooler to be. You got to be okay with that and let that happen and not feel like you have to jump ship. Yeah. No, that's good, great advice. Um, thank you for that. Um, I've got a, a question from one of your, well, website students, actually, okay. Adam Thomas. He was at the, the Cardiff yeah, yeah. show, Drum, Drummers yeah. On. Um, for your, shout out to Drummers On as well, because they're a great <sighs> shop. They're the best. They are. They're fantastic. So thanks to Dan. Um, Good question, actually, which is why I wanted to squeeze it in. When it comes to fluidity around the kit, mm. is that something you practice specifically or was it a byproduct of practicing in general? Such a good question. No, it's it's 100% specific. Like I carve out time every day. I would call that fluidity. I would just call it flow. And every single day I work on my flow. So I'll pick an environment to flow inside of. So let's say the environment is uh like a two three songo well what i just sang to you is a two measure loop or if you're in 16th notes it's a one measure loop it just loops over and over again that's not flow that's repetition and it's exact repetition so how do i flow inside of that well i carve out time every day to practice something like that whether it's songo or not i slow down and I slow down enough that I'm actually singing, actually singing, and just playing what I'm singing. But I'm always, I always have that core thing, that thread is always there. No matter how much I get outside the flow, I'm still feeling. It's like a chorus of a song just looped in my head. And then everything I play is built around that and it's hinting at that, but it's never exactly replicating it after I've done it. Um, so I do practice that a ton. Um, and, it, and it because as a band drummer, and I'm sure you've probably experienced the same thing, I just got very used to doing whatever I was supposed to do, note for note. You know, yeah. I, had, I had 12 songs in a band and we would play an eight song set list and I played those songs exactly as they were supposed to be played. And then all of a sudden, you know, I stopped touring and I started getting in contact with all my jazz buddies from school and they were now adults playing legit gigs. And they'd be like, yeah, let's just do a gig, man. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. You want to send me the charts? I'm like, there's no charts, bro. I'm like, well, it's three hours. What do you mean there's no charts for three hours? And they're like, I'll call the tune, count us in and we're good to go. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not good to go at all. Like, I would like to know, like, you need to send me the recording. Yeah, you know, so I just realized, okay, I can't flow. I can't improvise. I am a band drummer. And that's a great thing depending on where you want to go with it. But for where I wanted to go, pushing into the world of fusion, I needed to build that up. And I just refuse to ever say like, well, I'm just not meant to do that. It's like, no, 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 no. Like maybe some people are more inclined to do certain things than others, but anyone can do anything if they just put in the amount of hours. I refuse to believe that I couldn't have been an astronaut. I refuse to believe that I couldn't be a fireman or whatever I wanted to do if I would have just dedicated my obsession to that thing. And so it's like, well, if I want to flow, well, then get off your ass and practice flow. Adam, I'm not saying you, buddy. You're, you're great. <laughs> I'm not yelling at you, Adam. Love you, buddy. Um, he is great. He is great. He's he, a great. And he's a legit cat. That dude can play his butt off, man. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah. So it, it, a lot of times it came down to that and just thinking. I think it. It's not just practice because we know that that's the answer to everything. It's how to practice it. It's thinking of whatever you want to flow in as an environment. You know, if you're playing a, a Gadsden groove, single-handed sixteenth stay there and then just slowly just step out a little bit and see what happens can you still hold the core of that groove together i think one of the greatest drummers in the world that does that right now is nate smith you know he'll every video that nate smith puts puts out on instagram for the first four bars you're like oh that's cool i can do what nate smith can do and then all of a sudden it goes out and out and out it becomes this thing where you're like oh my god this is the greatest drummer in the world but 
it's still tied to something. It's not random drumming. He's flowing inside of a specific environment. So if you take the concept of an environment that needs to be explored, it's the same as if you were to get a hotel room in a city you've never been in in your entire life, but you're going to be there for four days. Night one, you're probably going to eat at the hotel because you're too scared to go anywhere. Then in the morning, you walk around just that street that the hotel's on. You find the nearest coffee shop. You're good to go. Night two, you have dinner away from the hotel. Then morning three, you ask, you know, what's the closest thing within two miles? And you just keep stepping out further and further away from this home base. But you know you can always come back to home base. And so that's kind of how I see every groove every feel it's like this environment that i just slowly have to explore on a daily basis that's that's unbelievable answer so <laughs> thank you very much i'm sure that'll be useful to the drummer listeners of the, of the show um what you, you mentioned instagram there we haven't really talked about social media sure very important these days especially for someone that wants to put themselves out there as a businessman and as a drummer any little tips before we come to the yeah, end yeah yeah i mean i think one of the tips that I've been giving to a lot of people is that if you don't consume the content, don't make content for that platform. You will not understand the social norms of that content. When I, as someone that makes content, you know, daily or weekly for YouTube and for Instagram, when I look at TikTok, I go, okay, this is a completely different universe from what I'm used to. It's not better or worse because Instagram used to feel like that same weird universe. Facebook felt like that when I was coming from MySpace. YouTube was brand new. No one understood it at all. So it doesn't matter whether you get it or not. If you stay on there long enough, you will get it. The thing is, TikTok's content is not attractive to me. When I do go to it, I think, oh man, that's cool. I just want something deeper. So, but does that mean that it doesn't have a value? No, it absolutely has a value. What if you wanted to see your favorite celebrity drop their guard for a second and just be goofy? That's great. So it has a place. You just have to decide, does it have a place for you? So just because TikTok is massive right now, I don't want anyone out there to feel like, oh, you have to get on it. You have to get on it. It's like, no, you don't. If you don't, if you don't like the content, you won't get it. Same thing with YouTube. If you don't ingest a bunch of YouTube content, you won't know what smash the like button means. You know, you won't know what smash the subscribe button. It's like smash. What the hell are they talking about? It's yeah. like, it's just a YouTube thing. Like it, you don't have to, <laughs> it's just something you say, you know, and like, and just understanding in a YouTube video, I have to get you hooked right now. So dessert before vegetables, cause you will not stick around. It's too tempting to go somewhere else. So I got to put the cool content in that first 10 seconds. And I have to pose a question that can only be answered later on in this video. Um, the, those social norms only happen through ingesting the content. So I think when it comes to platforms, one, don't try to do them all. It, it's too much work. It's going to become yeah. a noose around your neck. You don't want to do that. And then do the ones that you like the most. I watch YouTube. Like that's my TV. I get home, I fire up Apple TV, click on the YouTube icon, and I watch YouTube videos from my couch. So when I'm watching them, I'm constantly thinking like, oh, what a great idea. And I'm never watching drum videos. So I'm always saying like, what a great idea. I'll do that for drums later this week. So even ingesting the content is fueling my creativity for that platform. So that would be my first tip. And then the second tip is, just try to keep the numbers in perspective. If you get 13 likes, 13 people sitting in a cafe clapping for you is a lot of human beings. So be stoked about that, you know? Yeah. And, and every once in a while, the algorithm's gonna trip out and you're gonna get, you know, 20 times as, as many views as normal. Don't think that you hit the secret to success. It just kind of worked in your favor for that day. Keep your emotions in check. You know, it's, it's called vanity metrics. Do not let these numbers control your excitement or your depression like yeah it if you made the content for the right reasons you should be able to post it and walk away from it if you made the content because you needed to be seen and you needed to be heard and you needed to be liked that's when you check in on the content every five minutes to see if someone else liked it and then it's kind of a signal like look man maybe we should step away from this because this is now controlling us which we don't want we want we want to use these platforms in a way that is like beneficial to us as far as like, look, I have a message that I need to get out. And these tech people in Silicon Valley made this app that allows me to get that message out. Like, great. I only make YouTube videos when I'm sitting on the kit 
and I play something personally and I go, oh my God, that's so sick. And I'm like, okay, I got to film it. I got to film it. And that's like, cool. Now that's my next YouTube idea. What I don't do is sit down and think, what are the next 10 YouTube videos I'm going to make? Like, Interesting. It's, then it's just so unnatural, you know, it's mm. so forced. So those are my social media tips for the day. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks for those. Um, I've got a very quick, quick fire round for you where you answer as soon as you can. Um, just so the guests get to know you a little bit more. What's your favorite food? Matcha. I know no, it's a drink. Is it? Well, yeah. Okay. I, eat I love it. it. I, I love it as well. Me and my wife have one pretty much every day and you are a big influence on that. Thank you. <laughs> I feel better. Hey, um, there we go. Yeah, thanks. Uh, favorite movie? Uh, Steve Jobs. The Aaron Sorkin version with guitar Michael Fassbender. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, guitar or bass? Bass. Good. Nylon or wood tip? It's not even a choice. Wood. Yeah. This is always difficult. John Bonham or Neil Peart? John Bonham. Okay. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles. Big or small venue? Small. Favorite time signature? Seven, eight. Favorite rhythm section? Oh, God. You got me. Oof. I'm going to go with... Um, the original rhythm section for Living Color. So Will Calhoun, uh, Vernon Reed on guitar, and oh, I can't believe I can't remember the original bass player. Um, but yeah, okay. Living Color's that's, rhythm section. That's fantastic. Name an underrated band or, or drummer in this case. Faith No More okay. with Mike Borden. They're the most influential band I think ever, even though people won't admit it. Yeah, I agree. Um, favorite album of all time? Oh, uh, just because I said it, Angel Dust by Faith No More comes to mind, but I'll go with, um, ooh, I'm going to go with Spilt Milk by Jellyfish. I know it. Favorite drummer of all time? Oh, I mean, most iconic for me is Phil Collins, but probably favorite as far as like, I, I've just obsessed over their work. I, I'd have to say Dave Weckl. I, I still, every time I see him play, I, I love that the distance between me and Dave has never changed. <laughs> Meaning he's always getting better at either the same or faster amount than I am. So at 45, I still watch him play now and I'm like, damn, I haven't closed the gap at all. <laughs> the guy's just <laughs> relentless. I love Dave's playing. He's a beast, man. Um, yeah. And if you could, if you could create your own band mm. with yourself on drums with any musicians dead or alive playing the other instruments, oh, who would you choose? Question. Great it's question. Uh, Lee Sklar on bass. So if you don't know who that is, uh, long gray hair, giant gray beard. He's played with Clapton, Phil Collins. Uh, anytime you see Phil Collins not in Genesis, Lee Sklar is usually on bass. And um, he's just incredible. Um, guitar. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I would like to actually stretch. I mean, as much as I like to be like, oh, it'd be great to have, you know, John Mayer and just hold it down. I honestly don't like to just hold it down. I want to. I want to throw some heat. So, I think I'm going to go with uh, Tosin from Animals as Leaders, uh, cool. Tosin Obasi. Uh, so he'll be on guitar, and then I love a good key player. Um, like I love some keys. So most of you won't know this name, but he is a very very famous producer out of Huntsville, Alabama. But he's my favorite keyboard player, favorite piano player, favorite organ player. His name's Kelvin Wooten. Check out Kelvin Wooten. Just find his Instagram and you'll be like, yeah, I've never heard of this guy. And then as you scroll down, it'll just be like Grammy, 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 Grammy. Like, oh my God, he's behind everything that's ever happened. Kelvin Wu. And he is, <laughs> I've played with him three times now and he is the kindest human being in the world. And he's so far above everyone musically on stage. It makes no sense that he can be so kind and so generous and make you feel like you're the star. Um, yeah, I, I hope everyone gets a chance to play with somebody like Kelvin Wooten because it's a true dream to have somebody of that level look over at you and just give you the nod of like, you got this, bro. And you're like, oh, thank you because I'm kind of freaking out right now. So, yeah. Wow. Instrumental band? Yeah. I feel yeah. like vocals, you know, then I have to be responsible and like support them. <laughs> I really just want to drop some, drop the heat a little bit. Yeah, that's cool, man. Thanks so much for your time today. You've been well, an unbelievable guest. Um, Thanks, Dan. I knew, Appreciate I knew, it, man. 
I knew you would be. I knew you would be. But, um, <laughs> what, if, now, what if I wasn't? What if I just gave you one word answers and I <laughs> cursed and, uh That would have been pretty awful, but no, that's great. Um, I know you're a really busy guy. Um, keep doing what you do, making all the content for us all. Um, you know, you're one of the guys everyone looks up to um, and just keep doing it. And Thanks, buddy. yeah, I hope guys check out the website and consider signing up and make sure that you listen to about 60 episodes of Drum with Mike and Eddie if you Much haven't already caught up. Cheers, Mike. Thanks, brother. See you soon, Dave. Drum for the Song podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Drum for the Song podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please consider liking the video and subscribing if you're watching on YouTube or subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts. If you could leave me a review or comment, that would be fantastic too as it helps other people discover this show. Please also consider sharing this with any family members or friends who might enjoy the content. You can also follow me on social media at Dane underscore drums or at Drum for the Song or search for Drum for the Song on Facebook to follow the page and join the official Facebook group. If you'd like to support the podcast, you could purchase some merchandise from drumforthesong.com or consider supporting me via Patreon from just £3 per month for additional exclusive content like bonus episodes video calls with myself, competitions, discounts, and much more. Any additional support is always greatly appreciated, but I would like to give extra special thanks to my top-tier Groove Master patrons, whose names are listed in the description below. My name is Dane Campbell, and thanks so much for watching or listening this far. If you're a drummer, don't forget to drum for the song! <laughs>